We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Veterans Minimum, the number one sports and recreation podcast in the world, according to your boy. I'm your host, Nick Dayus at the Lamb Show. My guy sporting his Atlanta Falcons gear, only the second time all season. He's been horny. My guy, Allen, A-double-O, what up? The fanboy is out, I guess. Oh, man. How, uh, so how, how important are wins over the Saints? Uh, in Atlanta, it's like a national holiday. Yeah. Well, not technically not national because it's only in Atlanta, right. but it's like a holiday for them because that rivalry is so deep. Like we saw San Francisco, which we definitely have to talk about. That rivalry uh, happened on Monday, but Falcons Saints, even when the records are quite lopsided, even when the teams are heading completely opposite directions, it still gets heated. And the fact that the rematches happen on Thanksgiving in prime time, it's like it's like the Falcons Super Bowls in two and a half weeks. So. And no one could have seen it coming. It was the most absurd thing I've ever seen. Just Drew Brees looking so hesitant and six sacks after having seven sacks in eight games. Just unspeakable things happen. Oh, what about the soundbite of the year? Drew Brees being like, well, they have a pass rush. Yeah. <laughs> Drew, he just, they always got to take shots. Sean Payton, as much as I love Sean Payton as a play caller, he's the one that really takes shots. He's probably the most disrespectful coach out there. You saw what he did to Tariq Cohen this year. Him and Dirk Cutter, I think last year or two years ago, was it last year too? I remember like week 17, they had like a handshake and it was a very like aggressive handshake and Sean Payton just did him dirty and like Dirk Cutter just flipped them. I don't think he flipped them all, but Dirk Cutter just gave him like the dirtiest look. Like I don't know, the Saints, they just have this attitude about them. And it's not just because I'm a Falcons fan saying that. It's just because I, you, you heard me for weeks. Okay. I was saying the Saints were su- best team in the league. They're my Super Bowl pick. But I don't know, for some reason with the Saints, they just, they rub people the wrong way. 
That is definitely in the discussion for for WTF game of the year. How that happened? I think it has to be. So like, I know I know Jets Cowboys. You want to claim that, Mike? But uh, that's a yeah. That's that's in that. Discussion but you just have to too. consider the fact that both teams are coming off by, but the Saints. Drew Brees is coming back. They haven't lost since week two. Falcons haven't won since week two. Right. Because that's when Brees... Brees uh, hurt his hand against the Rams. Him. Yeah, from Aaron Donald. So, yeah, I just... It was the crazy thing. I just seen you know, Atlanta's defense. Because that was the first time in the Sean Payton, Drew Brees era at home. They didn't score a touchdown. Mm. Think about that. 2006. God, and of all the defenses, it was Atlanta's god-awful defense. Well, remember when you, you mentioned last week when... Uh, I said my my favorite game of the week was the Packers game, and you're like, it's not the Saints. And I told you about how like that's a really big point spread in division right. coming off a bye. It's something that I always I always go dog or pass in those situations. Very rarely do I take the the big favor, you know, double digit points. But hell no, I did not expect them to just win outright. Just like keep them from scoring a touchdown was just yeah six sacks. You mentioned you mentioned the Rams and the Niners and the Seahawks. Uh, even Drew Brees, like he kind of laid an egg on fantasy. And I wanted to just run by a couple of things. I want you guys to chime in at Veterans Minimum. Man, the Twitter police and the outrage police <laughs> when a guy lays an egg in fantasy Oof. is one of the most annoying things on the internet. And there's a lot of annoying things on the internet. Yes. <laughs> so like I want to I want to do this game. Um, we'll call it I guess. Uh, we're, oh, worst worst trend ever right or like worst guy ever on social media mm-hmm. and well i got a couple over here listed and let's start off with fantasy guy a oh, fantasy guy could be the most annoying person especially when it comes to like a quarterback that you know is not very good but they put up like 23 points of fantasy so he has to be good that was the case with blake bortles like blake bortles you know mr garbage time himself you just pat his numbers like they could be down thirty-one ten, but he would still end up with like three hundred fifty yards, three touchdowns. Like, oh, you see, Boyle's productive fantasy. He must be good. Come on. Yeah, but I also mean from the standpoint of the people that get outraged on social media when, like, like I have Cooper Cup in my fantasy right. league, but my team is also absolutely ridiculous. I put up like one seventy-seven last week on Boss, and Cooper Cup gave me zero. Wow. Right. And I, just following it on Twitter, people were losing their minds. Like, yo, this guy sucks. Fuck this guy. Dude, Get him Cooper out Cup of here. Single-handedly won games this year for people. Like, come on. Right, right. But he lays an egg. He puts yeah. up a zero. Uh, our, our buddy Ralph. Ralph yeah. had Mike Evans. Got a zero against Latimer and the Saints. And then he traded him for, like, Cortland Sutton and, and Keenan Allen. Like, it was a really lopsided trade. Mike Evans right now is the number one fantasy wide receiver in our league. But like Over what, Michael Thomas? Yeah. Damn. Yeah, because we so we play with bonuses, two hundred oh, okay. yard bonuses, and oh. I'm pretty sure that he's hit that at least once this year. So he's, but it's very close. But what I mean by worst worst guy ever on Twitter is like the fantasy football guy. I think is in that discussion. The worst if they tag the player. That I think is the most inexcusable thing. Like you're gonna tag a player. I remember back in the day. I think Michael Floyd got really angry. He's like, why are people tagging me? I had two catches for twenty four yards. My team won. I don't care what you think. It's just things like that, just had, especially tagging players. It's super unnecessary. But they, when it comes to fantasy, it's just and injuries too. If they even get mad with injuries, it's like, how can you determine that? Like, what's the point? Like, why are you getting so angry about it? injuries happen? Like, uh, Manuel Sanders got injured. And my boy's freaking out. I'm like, dude, he got injured. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah, at that point, uh, Arian Foster, when he retired, his oh. famous tweet was like, man, shout out to the Dolphins and the Texans for giving me a chance, young kid from wherever he's from. Uh, Tennessee for giving them a chance to play college football. He's like, and to fantasy football fans, y'all are sick. 
because that guy had it bad too. I feel like right. he was the first one to really get heat in the fantasy football community right. for like injuries because it was a guy who was going like number one in leagues, and then like he tore his his, his groin up, mm-hmm. collarbone and shit. I think he held out at one point too. He did hold out. Look what happened to Livion last year. Yeah, yeah, he was getting really angry. So I don't know. People just take it too seriously. What about uh, um, Kobe Bryant fans? If you slander Kobe, people lose their mind too. That's because I always what I always say it's it's become such a MJ LeBron debate Mm -hmm. over like who the best player ever is, Mm -hmm. and the Kobe fans and Kobe himself only interject whenever like they choose to interject like the talking heads in sports media it's never a, a three-way conversation like kobe kind of gets ignored in that debate despite yeah. having more championships yeah because me personally i don't think it's close i think lebron surpasses him despite what the ring situation is mm-hmm. and uh, i don't know if you've heard that soundbite this week someone asked them about the golden state warriors they asked lebron like do you feel sorry for you know in the last like 25 games they've played durant tore his achilles curry broke his hand and clay tore his acl mm-hmm. He's like, well, did anyone feel bad for me when I had Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love on out in the finals and yeah. Dova had to be rushed to the ER because he played 32 minutes in a game? So, Kobe fans, where, where are they on your, your worst guy ever meter? Because it seems like it was years ago, right? Like, it's I'm not that entrenched in the NBA world, even though obviously I do follow NBA. I love the NBA, but I don't know. I feel like it's cooled down. Like, I don't see it as much now. Like, it doesn't really affect me as much. I'm not a big so Kobe so fan. so. All right, maybe not Kobe. What about yeah. Russell Westbrook fans? They could get a little annoying. They could get very annoying, especially when like, all right, this guy like just his decision making late in games, but they'll still defend it because of his numbers. I just don't like people that always go with statistics when you current you clearly see he's made some bad decisions. He's cost them a game. I don't care what he's put up. Like still, when it comes to decision making, it's. I, I don't like we have like keep the statistics out of it. Okay, he has a triple double. Congrats, he does it what every five games. But when it comes to costing your team game with an error jump shot or just some poor decision in the last two minutes, you deserve to get criticized for it. Well, the, the triple double that that's always like an arbitrary number too, right? Like if you have twelve, eleven, ten in a game, and I have thirty eight, twelve, and six, who had the better game? Because yours is labeled a triple-double. You had a better game than me. Like, I think that's, you know, there, there, there's been games where LeBron drops like 48, 15, and 8. It's like, well, he didn't get a triple-double. And then, like, Alfred Payton will average, like, he'll have, like, a 15, 12, and 10 triple-double in Orlando. And it's like, well, obviously I would take LeBron's stat line over that because yeah. I can't label it a triple-double. So, right. yeah, Westbrook fans, and as someone that everyone knows who's listened to the show, had a financial investment on James Harden to win MVP that year, and he basically lost the MVP award because of, like, 82 rebounds. That's what it came down to because wow. uh, James Harden averaged, like, 30, 11, and, like, 9.3 that year. So it was really, like, about 80 to 90 rebounds less than what Westbrook had. So... What about this one? What about politics guy? Now, I'm not saying like yeah. what side you're on, right. but I just mean like the politics guy. You're overly excessive with it? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Especially when anything when Kaepernick comes up. Like if you say, oh, Kaepernick should be in the league. Look at the quarterback play. It's really bad. Like he should be a starter. And people just start freaking out. People lose their shit, bro. I'm like look at this quality of work. Okay, he had a couple of down years. What quarterback hasn't had down years? Phil Rivers had down years. Like Matthew Stafford. Kirk Cousins, like, and these are decent QBs or above average if you want to talk about Rivers or whatever. But I just whenever a Kaepernick comes up, that particular people just get outraged. You like touch a nerve. 
and also Kaepernick this weekend has a private workout. There's about 11 teams that are going there too. Yeah. In Atlanta, I think it is. It right? is because Atlanta will be going to Carolina at the time, so they're using that facility. But I just I don't understand. Just what we have to we could be able to separate the talent and the political side of things. Like we just have to, especially given now that you know if we're going to have an objective conversation, like why does it have to be attached to it? What about last one that I have written down on this piece of paper? What about the guy who always tweets out, good morning, Twitter. What are we angry about today? There's like three or four that I follow on social media and yeah. they're friends of mine. But it's just like, dude, come on. Like, you just want to spark a conversation. That, like, that's annoying, too. Yeah, especially you just wake up in the morning and it's like, come on. Like, I like that people like Jay Billis will uh, quote Jeezy lyrics. Jeezy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or John Rothstein will just put out like three or four good energy quotes like those are cool things i like like just good things that just help you wake up in the morning it's like okay you got on with my day and then you see the news it's like oh damn this is going on or oh this controversy is happening so it's just twitter though oh man gotta love it by the way i do want to mention one thing that does frustrate me uh overly aggressive mma fans i used to cover mma and mma fans could be some of the most obnoxious dirty people not to totally criticize them because we were just around a bunch of mma fans a couple weekends ago but they could get really bad, especially if uh, they got to defend someone, if someone does wrong. Like, look, we, we all love Nick Diaz, but Nick Diaz has done some pretty bad things. He's gone through some tough times over the past few years. And just they even defend him if he got, like, a DUI or if he got uh, investigated for assault, they'll still defend him. It's like when it comes to, like, serious matters, like, you got to balance it, man. Like, you don't need to be such a fanboy. So, MMA fans, I'll put up there because they could be some of the most ruthless people. Yeah, speaking of MMA, our buddy Jared Gordon, he's going to be on the main card this weekend in Sao Paulo against Charles Oliveira. Definitely check that out. Good luck to Jared over the weekend, man. Uh, bring the heat and make some noise down there, man. We'll be rooting for you. Ooh, hi, hey. Did this in my own life. Hey. Now joining us, one of my good friends in the industry. We started doing podcasts in 2013. We did it for about, I would say, five seasons all the way to the Super Bowl run with the Falcons. Now he's doing his own show with uh, Lockdown Podcast and uh, PFC with Matt Crowley. My man, Aaron Freeman, joining us to talk about the Falcons' miraculous, remarkable, insert any adjective you want, uh, <laughs> being the Saints. Aaron, what's going on, my man? Man, it's going good, man. I imagine you guys were waiting to have me on after a Falcons win. And we had to wait like six weeks or something like that. No, to be fair, we were going to probably have you on because we were all waiting to see if Quinn was going to get fired. So, because that would have been big news. But I think Quinn at least guaranteed himself another month of employment after that one. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think he'll make it at least through Thanksgiving. (laughs) That's the Super Bowl. It is. It is. After this win, yeah, I think we can sweep the Saints. If they sweep the Saints, it's weird because like, you go back to 2014 when Mike Smith got fired. They swept the Saints that year, and we got the OC Humanora waving goodbye at the end of the, the second game uh, to sort of uh, you know put the Saints to bed. So it'll be funny that if the Falcons wind up firing Dan Quinn, which I think they will at season's end, and they also sweep the Saints this year. It's like the only time the Falcons can sweep the Saints is when the team is terrible the other years. How about OCU Minora game I mentioned? That's Bro, that's guy. my... Yo, Aaron, I don't know if you did that on purpose, fam, but... No, it, like he my, did it. He did it. He did, like, the chunk the deuces up. No, no, it, but yeah. I'm saying, like, oh. I, like that's my favorite Giants defense. I'm a big Giants fan here, Aaron, and I know it's, uh, you know, we... M- many people might not know this, but they have the worst record in the NFL along with the Browns the last, like, three years. And that's also a 0-16 season for Cleveland, so that's how rough it's been. I think I think it's 10-33 uh, and 33 since that Miami picture. 
So it, it's been rough here, man. So anytime I hear Justin Tuck's name, OCU Munora, it's the glory days for your boy. Yeah, no, no. Those are, those are, I mean, it was like everybody was trying to be the Giants for like a couple of years by building those pass rushes. Like, like the Giants had the Tuck and Strahan and OC and uh, Barry Cofield and mm-hmm. who else they had back on those days. Oh, well, Livvo uh, Joseph, no? Yeah, yeah. They had what, Limbaugh Joseph was on that team for a little bit before he went to Minnesota Blue Up. Yeah, so crazy. Yeah, Chris Canty, Tollefson, too, the random, like, third string defensive end that would get, like, a game winning sack when no one expected I was going to say Cassius Marsh, because that's who he reminds oh, you of, but man. definitely not Cassius. Right, listen, we could go on about the glory days about the Giants, and I could get very, very upset because I probably won't see that for another decade. But, Aaron, I asked, I asked Alan this when the show started. Just for people that might not know, not living in Atlanta or following the Falcons, just how big of a win is it when you beat the Saints? It's huge. I mean, I guess if if there's Giants people listening, it's like beating the Cowboys, I guess. That's my guess is Giants big for I have no idea. NFC is weird. But for the Falcons, I guess the Saints is like beating the Cowboys, beating the Eagles, and beating the Redskins all rolled into one because they are by far the Falcons' biggest rival. Like, you know, they have rivalries with the Panthers and the Bucks, but it's not like, it's not to the core like it is with the Saints. Like, the Falcons and Saints both were, like, established, like, within a year of each other back in the 60s. They were both sort of in the dumps of the NFC West for, like, 40 years playing with the Rams and the 49ers, and it was just basically they were fighting over who wouldn't be in last place every single year. And so it just created, their, you know, their two Southern teams that, playing out in the NFC West where they're playing against the, the LA Rams and the St. Louis Rams and the San Francisco 49ers. So they're kind of local teams, you know, New Orleans and Atlanta are in similar cities, but very different cities. So it creates a lot of sort of rivalry and all that sort of thing. Uh, and so this Saints Falcons rivalry is definitely a big one. And so when the Falcons can beat the Saints, it's, it's huge. When the Saints beat the Falcons, it's huge for them. It's something that people will still bring up games from like 15 years ago where the Falcons beat the Saints or where the Saints beat the Falcons and whatnot. So it's a rivalry that is firmly etched in the minds of, of all Falcon fans and certainly of all Saints fans. Now, Aaron, what do you attribute the defensive success to? Because the whole stat, seven sacks in eight games and then six sacks against the Saints, was it just players elevating their game or do you think Raheem Morris and Jeff Albrecht who took uh, feature roles in defensive play calling, do you think their input had more reasoning behind their success or you just think players stepped up? I think it's, I think it's both. It's never, you know, it's never as easy as just simply saying like, oh yeah, they got a new secondary coach and Raheem Morris and he fixed their defense. Like if it was that easy, it would have happened, you know, six weeks ago. So I think a lot of it was players stepping up because you got Grady Jarrett having a really good game and normally he doesn't really have a big game against the Saints. You know, because they have those good guards and they usually keep him in check. And he's basically the Falcons' best pass rusher. And he's quiet. And the rest of the D-line is quiet. But he was very big in this game. Adrian Cleveland really dominated Toronto and Armstead in this game. Got a whole bunch of pressures against them. Um, I'd be curious to, to find out if Toronto Armstead was injured or anything. Because, like... I heard he had the flu. Okay. It's one of the worst games he's had in, like, six years. Yeah. So there was something going on with him and that led to a lot of the success that the Falcons had. But I think the coverage is in the coverage was definitely improved. The Falcons have really struggled this season and certainly over the last six games when they've been losing um, prior to the Saints game. 
was giving up a lot of big plays and a lot of explosive plays. That's one of the things that has been the hallmark of the Dan Quinn defense. They haven't been good at a lot of things on defense, but they've always been good at limiting teams from being, you know, explosive against them. And so they've always played this bend but don't break style of defense. But really over this season, they've been getting gashed by big plays. And so they really haven't been able to play the style of defense that they wanted to play. And you saw in the Saints game, they didn't give up big plays. The Saints were able to move the ball against them, but they were able to get stops in the red zone. They were able to get stops on third down. So I think it's a combination of, of, the, of all of the things. But certainly I think, you know, you got to give credit to the coaching staff because for the first time in a long time, they cleaned up a lot of the mistakes that were, they were making on the back end that really was killing this team the last month or so. I want to talk a little bit more about the Saints. Do you think if you're a Saints fan or someone that maybe has – you know, a financial investment and the de- the degenerates out there that have maybe put some money on the Saints, should they be concerned by this? Or do you think it's just one of those, like, random... I feel like every team kind of lays an egg throughout the year. Do you think this is just that random egg that we'll look back and say, yo, how the hell did the Falcons, who probably win three or four games, beat the Saints, who probably lose three or four games? I mean, probably that's probably what we'll wind up saying. But I do think it is interesting. Last year, the Saints, even though they weren't losing games, in the second half of the season, they kind of went into a shell. And they kind of, you know, petered out after, you know, there was like a while there in the first half of the season where they were dropping like 40 burgers every single week. And then some of those games in the second half of the season, they were struggling to get in double digits. And so I do wonder if maybe like because the Saints offense is so – predicated on running the football and the dinking and dunking with Michael Thomas and whatnot, that when they're, when they can't do some of those things, their offense becomes very ordinary. Um, And essentially if like they can't, you know, they they played a pretty decent defensive game against the Falcons. So it wasn't like their defense was the major issue. They were getting stops against the Falcons, but you know, I do wonder if the Saints team is really built to win it all. Like, they always seem to look like they are early in the season, and then they kind of run out of momentum in, in the second half of the year. And maybe this game is an indicator that that might happen again this year. But they could also just bounce back next week and, and completely uh, rip through whoever they're playing. I'm not sure if this is overreaction, but would you see some, I don't know, like when I want to look at the Saints roster, I think they're the most loaded teams in the league. But do you think at this point Drew Brees is the one that we have to be most concerned about? Is he the biggest hindrance to their Super Bowl chances? It's hard to say. I mean, he looked bad on Sunday, man. He looked very hesitant. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, like, but like, I feel like of all the things that, like, yeah, I don't think he played well. But like, of all the things to criticize the Saints for, I feel like Drew Brees is not at the top of that list or shouldn't be at the top of that list. At least he's, he's earned enough respect from me that it's hard for me to, like I'd have to see him play bad like another three or four games before I, I'd start to really think that other than just he had an off night. The thing is he was teetering off last year a bit too, so that's why, I don't know, I'm just like a little concerned about it and the schedule is going to get tougher for New Orleans. It's just, I think at some point he's starting to fade, but uh, writing off Drew Brees, that's not necessarily the most smartest thing to do. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, it's it's hard plus because we haven't really seen a lot of them this season. So maybe he he is kind of a little washed, and just because he's only what played like three games, you know, it's hard to know. 
Well, that was my main concern with him coming into the year. Like, my hot take was that the Saints were going to miss the playoffs. And one of the reasons why was because I felt like Drew Brees, post that, that weird Thursday Night Football Cowboys game last year, his numbers kind of teetered off, and he showed all the signs of being a 39, 40-year-old quarterback. You know, like, his numbers just went down across the board. And, you know, back-to-back years, the Saints lost probably the most devastating way possible that we've seen you know like i know everyone listening that lived through those bills runs losing four super bowls some of those super bowls like they they just got molly whopped right like they just got blown out whereas the saints lose on literally a play called the miracle the minnesota miracle and then you have the egregious pass interference call that was a no call so i felt like factoring in the back-to-back seasons of heartbreak being that close and then breeze kind of declining I felt like Breeze was going to be a liability for them. Yeah, I think, I think that's a fair fair take. I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Because you're right. Like last year, towards the end of the season, he was a big reason why their offense wasn't cooking. Also, couple that with Michael Thomas wasn't able to, to you know, have some of these breakout games like he was having earlier in the season. So I, I feel like, you know, because the, the Saints are a weird team because they're kind of like a three-headed monster and it's it's Breeze, it's Kamara, it's it's Thomas, and if you can keep one or more of those guys in check, you know, if, if Breeze is going to be the guy that's going to hold them back and he's going to be consistently kept in check, then if you can stop Thomas or you can stop Kamara, like you can beat the Saints, and that's what the Falcons did. I mean, I know Kamara was hurt last week, but he didn't really have a big impact in, in the game. Um, Thomas, you know, was running circles around Isaiah Oliver, but you know, pretty much everybody's running circles around Isaiah Oliver. Always so got a shot. It's like if you can, if two of those guys are not going to, you know, bring their A game every single week, this Saints team is is a pretty beatable team. And I want to quickly touch on Dan Quinn because I think for the past few seasons, people are looking at Dan Quinn as one of the better coaches. Where do you think it's gone all wrong? Is it just his scheme not acclimating to, you know, to his modern offenses and just him kind of being out coach, just not making adjustments, or do you think it goes deeper? I don't know, man. That, that's been the, the weird question that I haven't been able to answer. And that's part of the reason why I'm so interested to see, like, these coaching changes from, like, Raheem Morris and, and Jeff Ulbrich coming calling plays is going to actually get this defense back on track. And then we'll just sort of look at it and say, okay, clearly Dan Quinn was overwhelmed with the play calling. And there was some disconnect between – what he was calling and what the players were executing. And now that he's sort of taking himself out of it, you'll get better execution. But honestly, I, you know, if I was to boil it down to one thing, I think it's really been his hiring of Dirk Cutter as the offensive coordinator. I know everybody focuses on the Falcons defense because it is terrible, but like the Falcons offense has fallen off of a cliff uh, this year, particularly when you look at how they start games, like they always manage to get some garbage time points late, you know, in the second half and whatnot and make it look more respectable. But when this team for regularly was, you know, for a while this season scoring three or seven points in the first half, you know, going from a team that used to score, you know, 14, 17 points in the first half of games on a regular basis, like you have to look at that. And that's really where this team has always been, you know, where their bread was buttered. They were always an offensive driven team. And the defense was always just had to be good enough to not lose the game for them. And then now all of a sudden when your offense is, is basically – a no-show for two the first two quarters of games, um, and then you're putting more on the defense, it gets exposed like it has been throughout the season. So I really feel like 
the thing that really killed Dan Quinn's time in Atlanta was the hiring of Dirk Cutter. I feel like he wanted to get Gary Kubiak, but because Denver was blocking it, uh, they moved on and got Dirk Cutter for whatever reason. And then Kubiak winds up in Minnesota, and it all looks like the Falcons got a little bit impatient, hired essentially the wrong guy. You look at the other candidate, like Daryl Bevel, who's been doing a pretty good job in, in Detroit. You know, they're not amazing or anything like that, but it certainly is an upgrade over what Jim Bob Cooter was doing the last couple of years. Of course, Adam Gase is the other candidate, and of course he's doing a terrible job. So I guess Dan Quinn got that right by not hiring that dude to be the offensive coordinator. But I, I really do think sort of they went with essentially the third best option at the offensive coordinator spot. I think that's really been the thing that killed him this year. Aaron, what other teams in the league? Well, give me give me a team that has sort of surprised you this year that you find yourself watching a lot and maybe even rooting for, like an irrational uh, fandom has developed. Like, what team around the league does that for you? I mean, Baltimore's kind of the low-hanging fruit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I thought Baltimore would be good, but I didn't think they would be, like, this good, you know, because I just felt like, oh, you know, Lamar Jackson will do some things. He'll have some good games here or there, but he'll be he'll be up and down like a young quarterback is. I don't know if that defense is the same defense that, um, you know, we've seen in past years where we, we expect – you know, consistency. And there's been games this season where the Ravens defense has, has been exposed a little bit. But I think, you know, if, if Jackson's going to play like he's played, you know, at sort of his peak this year, that's going to be a team that's going to be very tough to beat this season. So I didn't ex- necessarily expect the highs that we have seen with this Ravens team this season. And, and basically being, you know, I thought they would just basically be the same old Ravens, um, you know, that they were with Joe Flacco, which is, you know, winning games 23 to, to 17 and stuff like that. And just, you know, Jackson would just run for a million yards in those games, but they wouldn't score a lot of points and they win a lot of low scoring games. But to see this offense sort of explode in the way that it has this season, uh, you know, it's been a big surprise for me. I'm shocked you didn't mention Oakland since you're honorary Ravens fa- or Raiders fan, yeah, excuse me. I got off the Ra- Raiders bandwagon. Uh, a couple of years ago, so I haven't really been paying attention. Like the other night was like really the first time I ever even watched the Raiders a little bit this season. How can you ditch John Gruden? I, look, he was doing some weird stuff over there. And I had <laughs> yeah, 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 some indefensible stuff. Well, what about? Because I, I'm also surprised you mentioned Niners because obviously the influence with Kyle Shanahan. What do you make of them? I mean, yeah, okay, yeah, that's fair. They're they're, they're surprising. Although I feel like you know. I'm eager to like. I'm not going to jump on the Niners bandwagon yet because they got some good teams coming up in the in this back part of the schedule, and I want to see how they handle these teams. You know, Seattle. I think they got New Orleans. I think they got Green Bay. Baltimore. And I feel like they've been kind of rolling over some some patsies so far. So I, I feel like if they can start beating those teams, then I'll then I'll jump on the Niners bandwagon. But I, I'm not sure if they're for real yet. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way, man. I I think a lot of I think your schedule and your record could be kind of misleading. Um, you know, I don't. I, I've been on the Patriots defense isn't as great as everyone's making it out to be because, you know, like they've played, they played Daniel Jones, they've played Case Sam Keenum. Sam yeah Sam Darnold, Case Keenum, like they've played a bunch of bums compared to like Lamar Jackson who's playing at a really high level. They got you know they got Carson Wentz this week. They'll have Mahomes coming up, Watson. So it's like, yo, let me see you against those kind of quarterbacks too. Aaron, do you feel like sometimes your record could be misleading? Like, not all 8-0s are the same. 
Yeah, no, you know, you, you know the old saying was it Parcells that said like you you are what your record says you are. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is not true. I feel like yeah, I, I think like you know if, uh, there's a difference between seven and two teams. There's a difference between two and seven teams. It's like you know there are some teams that are like you know four and five and are better than some teams that are seven and two. You know, so it's one of those things where I don't feel like that's always true. I mean, yeah you got to win games and ultimately at the end of the day, you know, if, if, if you wind up going set, you can be the best seven and nine team in the league, but it's not acceptable, you know, and if you go 14 and two, even though you're playing cupcakes every week, you know, you're going to have uh, the opportunity in January to prove yourself. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where it is kind of true, but I do think it, it gets a lot overrated. Uh, Aaron, just to wrap it up here, what else do you have planned in terms of, because I know you do your show almost, what, still five days a week, right? Yeah. 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 How, how's the grind like? Because I know it's very strenuous and, you know, obviously covering a 2-7 and seven team, not the most ideal circumstances. Uh, how do you still, like, cope with it and how do you, like, build your guests? Um, it's, it's, it can be tough when the, when the Falcons are struggling. you got to find certain things that interest you and usually it's, it's not really the Falcons. <laughs> like that so you got to find certain angles on things to, to keep yourself motivated but there's been a couple of weeks the last couple of weeks where i've been like do i really have to do five shows can i can i just do four you know this is kind of killing me but um you know coming off of this win it certainly kind of reinvigorates you and you get a little bit more hopeful that we'll see some more positive play in the back half of the season so uh, at least i'll be entertained while i do my five daily shows but you know, getting guests, um, it's usually, I haven't had a lot the last couple of weeks because like you guys, I've been expecting Dan Quinn to get fired and I didn't want to necessarily have a guest on with that sort of big news dropping. Um, so, you know, I think now in, now that we know Dan Quinn's going to have some job security, at least for the next month or so, you know, it'll allow me to try to get back and have more guests on the show um, and hopefully get some uh, good ones. Man, I couldn't agree with you more about not having the energy sometimes to talk about teams that are trash or having a trash year because I work with this company, Chat Sports. I do some YouTube content for them, and I'm, I'm the Knicks and Giants guy. So it could be it could be very frustrating. Though the Knicks are just a shit show across the board, so you could come up with a lot of interesting takes there and, and talking points. I mean, at least you guys got Daniel Jones. That, that was exciting for a little bit, right? Yeah, you know what, man? I, I, I like him, you know? Uh, I, am I delusional because I'm a Giants fan and I, I have a quarterback that fits the 2019 mold of a quarterback that can actually make a play with his feet? Could be. But, you know, I think the defense is abysmal. Like, everyone knows that. And the offensive line, I don't know what's happened. It's kind of just disappeared. And, you know, Barkley, I think, is still hurt. And, like, one week, Shepard is out. Then Ingram is out. Um, I like Slayton coming along. But, yeah, it's cool. Like, for me, my biggest takeaway for the Giants this year, it was just to have Daniel Jones show us that he could be the heir apparent. And for me, I think he is. Well, how do you feel about Daniel Jones? I guess we can wrap it up. Alan, Alan knows if I can get some Daniel Jones conversations going, I'm all in. Just don't ask about David Gettleman. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, I've been, I've been trashing Eli for like five years. I've been saying this dude is washed for like five years, so I'm with I you. Mean, I'm I, I've I've been with you too, so no hard feelings here. I mean, you know, he he, he had a nice run, but right. he's been he's lost it. He lost it many years ago, but because of 
his earlier success, people kept, you know, like I, I joke, like, you know, Ben McAdoo was terrible, but the one good decision he made was benching Eli Manning uh, that season. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, Jones, I think he's, he's brought some excitement there. And, you know, I, I wasn't, like, super high on him when he came out, but it was one of those things where it's like, you know, they need something. They need a spark or something. So, and he's provided that a couple of times. So I've liked what I've seen so far. And, you know, with these quarterbacks, it takes some time. You know, I don't know if Pat Shermer is the guy that I would want to be the guy that sort of guiding him into the future. But, you know, obviously other people have to make that decision. But we'll see how it goes. Well, Aaron, Alan mentioned that you do a podcast pretty much every day throughout the week. The floor is yours, my friend. Tell people where they can find you, where they can contact you. Obviously, thank you so much for joining the program. Uh, take it away, man. Look, man, I appreciate it. I enjoy having, being on podcasts and, and not having to talk, even though we talked about the Falcons, but being able to talk about other subjects other than the Falcons on a daily basis. But you can find me talking about the Falcons on a daily basis on the Locked on Falcons podcast. You can get it on whatever podcast platform you can possibly find. I also do a weekly podcast. It drops live on Tuesday nights on YouTube. At uh, It's called Falcon Central Radio. I host that with Matt Carley, who is a former uh, Falcons blogger for Blogging Dirty and currently with Rise Up Reader. Um, we do that. You can see some film breakdowns on that. Alan's been on that show recently, so if you're a fan of that, at least go back and watch the episode with Alan. Um, so uh, you can find that on the Pro Football Central uh, YouTube page. You can find that at profootballcentral.com on a variety of podcast platforms as well, the audio version. And, of course, if you just want to get my bad tweets, you can find that on Falcfans, F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S on Twitter. Lots of wings takes. Lots of wings takes. I've been dialing back the Falcons takes and, and trying to get into other things, but you know me, I, I only talk about chicken wings. So. Yeah, if you tweet Aaron about boneless wings, you might get blocked. Just want to let yeah, people know. It, it's going to be a problem. It's, it's going to be, be a problem. problem. Well, Aaron, thanks again, man, and looking forward to chopping it up with you in the future, my guy. All right, man, I appreciate it, guys. I, I look forward to doing it again. All right, dude. Have a good one. Did this in my own life. Hey. All right, before we move on, Alan. Um,. You could be honest. From a scale of one to ten, how hairy am I? You? Yeah. Nine. Wow. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's harsh. Yeah, I am though. I would say a nine. Look, it's in my genes. I'm Greek. All right, Greeks really hairy. Um, but shout out to Manscaped. Do you know about Manscaped? Yes. Manscaped is fantastic. Manscaped is a sponsor of the show. Shout out to them. Uh, they help keep the ball region nice and crisp. And I need a lot of work done down there because, like we started, I am very hairy. But Manscaped has a lot of cool stuff that they offer. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag on your ball sack. Um, in the past, I've had some incidents. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. But... uh. Manscaped has also the crop preserver. Uh, you could definitely do a lot of man grooming down there. Um, I got some Manscaped stuff I could give you. Uh-huh. Definitely not my equipment, though, because that'd be very, very weird and sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> very innovative uh, creation we got here. Yeah. Uh, your balls will thank you later. Always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code VM 
at manscaped.com. 20% off, free shipping with the code VM at checkout, manscaped.com. Shout out to them. Their stuff is really dope. And uh, even the boxers, the boxer briefs too, very comfortable. They're like a... They're like a slightly looser compression tights. Okay. Keep everything nice and uh, well positioned. Like Under Armour? Yeah, sort of Under Armoury. Yeah. yeah, very cool. Suit Under Armour. Yeah. So uh, that is VM at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. So enough about the crown jewels of the family. Let's move on to this segment. We got potential wildcard teams. Now, in the NFL... The division leaders are currently in the AFC, the Pats, the Ravens, the Chiefs, and the Texans. Mm -hmm. And then we got the Niners, Saints, Packers, and is it Dallas or is it Philly? Dallas currently. Currently because they have a better tiebreaker. All right. So we can't pick these teams that are leading their division for this one. Mm -hmm. So you want to start off AFC or NFC? Start off AFC. All right. Give me a team that you have as a potential wild card team right now. Wrote them off five weeks ago, but Pittsburgh Steelers, mm. they're about to play in like a half hour. Well, hopefully, they won't pull a Chargers on us and just completely <laughs> crash. Yeah, if you guys watched the video last week, we spent about like 10 minutes about Derwin James and his impact on the Chargers defense. And then Phillip Rivers looked, yo, as someone that made uh, put money on the Chargers last year, mm-hmm. I watched them really, really closely. And throughout the years, I've always had a soft spot for like the Chargers. Yeah, man, that is the worst game that I've seen them seen him play in a very, very long. I don't time. know if it was just a short week, but he could have thrown four or five picks. Yeah. I think he was bailed out on like two penalties. But him and the safety Harris, they had a rapport. It was like him and Antonio Gates out there. Yeah, that was that was crazy. So, um, tell tell us about the team that you're going with. Steelers, you have to give them their due. The Minka Fitzpatrick trade. Kind of like the Mari Cooper trade last year. Everyone mocked it, and now it's blown up on our faces. This guy's a legit game changer. He has changed the landscape of that defense between that and I think their front four might be one of the best in the league between Cam Hayward. He's always been solid. But he's elevated his game. TJ Watt, I know you're a huge fan of. He's one of the best side rushers. But even a guy like Bud Dupree, who a lot of people wrote off, he's having a big year. Stephon Tewitt's good. Oh, actually, he recently got injured. I mentioned Javon Hargrave. Mm-hmm. Like their front four. And Steelers are known for being one of the bigger blitz-heavy teams, so they're putting a lot of pressure. Like, Jared Goff looked hopeless back there when uh, they beat him last week. So uh, that Steelers defense is really bringing it, and I think that's the biggest reason why I really like them as a wildcard team. Man, also, their front seven, like Devin Bush. Oh, yeah. He's bowling out, too. And that secondary don't look that bad now with Fitzpatrick Joe, back there. Joe Hayden's had a research in year two. Yeah. He had a big and, pick. And, and Hilton seems to be making some plays. He's always been I like him. Yeah, He's yeah. Like one of the blitz heavy guys. Steven Nelson was a question mark because he was like on the receiving of a lot of big plays in Kansas City, but even he's not playing too bad. So uh, I know some people are going to be critical because they kind of got away with the P.I. at the end of that game, but uh, there's so many ticky-tack calls. It's good to see defensive back kind of get away. I think it was Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah. So, yeah, but I didn't think it was that egregious of a missed call i don't have them as a wild card team ultimately i think the demise for them is going to be mason rudolph he's a very very iffy he's very like okay he's jittery he doesn't like taking shots downfield he's just very conservative and i think that's just because he doesn't have the confidence i'm gonna go with a team that i written i wrote off uh and i feel like a lot of people did the raiders (laughs) people were off the raiders in august (laughs) yeah yo they're Actually, a game back of the Chiefs. 
You know, the Chiefs, now Mahomes has lost three straight starts now. So, you know, he a report came out where he said that this is the best he's felt going into this Monday Night Football game against the Chargers, which I don't know if you realize, you know, it's played in Mexico, right? It's a big concern. Well, is it going to be played? Because, yo, last year it was the same shit that happened. And then they moved it, and that's like the greatest game we've ever seen. It's Thursday night, so you think – because I remember last year there was buzz, I think, Monday or Tuesday. Like, wow, this game looks terrible. I think they made the decision by Wednesday, I think by Wednesday or Thursday. Because I remember before the Chiefs-Rams game, people were like, yo, the pictures came out of the field, and it was a complete disaster. And people were like, we got to move this. So I think if it was a mess, they would have moved it by now. Yeah, I mean that. That's crazy that it did get moved because they gave us literally the best regular season game oh, of all time. It's a classic. Yeah, so I, I'm going with the Raiders. Um, Derek Carr is probably a top five quarterback right now in the AFC. I about to say if you yeah, said NFL, yeah. I would have. <laughs> he's had a resurgence. I've been very critical of him, but Derek Carr, he's just making a lot of good decisions, and especially out of the pocket, he just. Because I th- always thought Derek Carr is just guy. He's not just overly conservative. He just makes a lot of bad decisions. But him and Gruden, they're just on the same page, and they're clicking. Jacobs has been a beast for them. They're starting to utilize Renfro out the slot, too. Yeah. Um, Waller has been a breakout candidate at the tight end position. O-line's been stout. O-line's been really good. And don't forget, they also lost to Semele, too, who was a big part of their offensive line last year. Right. And just like in, in years past, and he had that fallout with the Jets, which is for another time. But I'm going to go with Oakland, man. And another team, am I am I crazy for buying into Ryan Tannehill and the Titans? No, not at all. Because the Titans, one week they look like a bomb five team. The next week they beat a Super Bowl contender. So why not? They're on by this week. Then they got home to Jacksonville at Indy, at Oakland, home to Houston. Titans are five and five. This is a team who three straight years they've been nine and seven. And you can make a strong case that the reason why was because Mariota, who coming out of college, I don't know how many people that were a bigger fan of Mariota coming out. Uh, I loved him at Oregon. I was not. I'm still not ready to completely jump off the bandwagon with Mariota. I think he's had a different coordinator every single year he's been in the league, even going back to his last year with Chip Kelly. Like uh-huh. It was Chip Kelly, then he left to go to the Eagles, and then he had that new guy that came in. So he's really had a new coordinator for, what, yeah. seven straight yeah, years Lou now? Floor was there. Right. And, you know, the team always, like, they had some pieces, but even Derrick Henry, though, he's like a top five, six running back in PPR fantasy leagues, which is crazy because he's not a guy that catches five, six passes a game. Yeah. Um that was like the only bright spot on their offense. Like I, I really liked Delaney Walker, but he was injured last year. And this is a team who defensively, I always felt like they were underrated. They got one of my favorite players in the league in uh, uh, Bayard, or Bird, um, Bayard, yeah. Bayard in the, in the secondary. And you know they just got like a lot of underrated pieces on that team. And now with Tannehill, you know three straight games he's led them to a game winning drive. He just seems to have the report because I think one of the biggest issues is like Corey Davis, A.J. Brown, these are big vertical receivers, guys that could win at the catch point, but Mario just wasn't throwing the ball that well. And at some point, you just need a quarterback that could deliver. Like that Denver game was a complete disaster. And credit to Mike Vrabel for saying, all right, we got to make this move. Reports came out, I think I saw from Mike Lombardi, that they want a 10-0 start in September. But the front office is like, look, we got to see one more time with Mario. Let's give him one more chance. But eventually, because Mike Vrabel... It's pretty stubborn. He does not take too much shit. Like he, if he sees something wrong, he will address it and move forward. So that's why it was a little surprising to see Tannehill not get the shot earlier. But I think that Denver game just completely destroyed everything. So now Tannehill is back there, and Tannehill's always been talented. It's just between not getting healthy and not having much of infrastructure in Miami, 
I think he, that's why he never really succeeded there. But in terms of in the league, if you need a serviceable quarterback, why not Ryan Tannehill? I, I know a lot of Bear fans right now wish they had Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think it, it goes back to what I always say, man. Sometimes you're dealt a shitty hand with the organization you go to. You can't succeed. You couldn't succeed in Miami. The guy got stripped of all his, all the good players on Miami got traded away. Adam Gase effect. Yeah. So Jay Jai, Jarvis Landry. Yeah. Sue left also. So yeah. Um. All right. We didn't mention the Bills. Are we crazy? I think the schedule is going to heat up. I know they got to play Dallas. I believe they still have to play New England one more time. I know they have a couple more tougher games, but it's just that offense. It's not built to succeed. Never been crazy about Josh Allen. He's an entertaining quarterback, but. Just as a pure passer, he just doesn't get it done. Just always overthrowing receivers, not making the right reads. Look, you got a couple crazy scrambles. It's great, but I just don't think as a passer, Josh Allen gets it done. And then, you know, defensively they're great, but I think defensively, even though they hold it together, they don't necessarily force a lot of turnovers. Mm-hmm. And when you have an offense that's producing, that could be a problem as well. Like they don't have a dominant edge rusher. I love Jerry Hughes, but he's not that guy. And Javis White's kind of a down year, not playing up the stands. Although credit to him, he did do very well against Odell. But I just think the Bills, they don't have enough game changers. And in this conference, you just need players that will step up. And right now, they're just a team that's, I think, really benefited from a soft schedule. So I think that's why I'm kind of down the Bills, even though I do think Sean McDermott deserves a lot of credit for getting the most out of a limited roster. So the Bills are 6-3. and three. They got at Miami, home Denver, at Dallas, home Baltimore, at Pittsburgh, at New England, and then the Jets, who... Some weird reason that game is always kind of wacky. That four game stretch though is brutal. Yeah. Baltimore, Dallas, New England. There's no way you could really pick them there. And Pittsburgh, the way they're playing, I can't imagine Josh Allen's going to have a good game against them. NFC. Oh, can I get my one wildcard team? Yeah, good. Colts. I'm not, I'm not, oh, they Oh, okay. Colts. Yeah. I think Brissett's healthy. T.Y. Holmes going to come back in a week. I just believe in that coaching staff. I do think the defense has played better this year, whether it's just a scheme or. Justin Houston's made a bigger impact than I think a couple people or most people didn't think he was going to make. I think Justin Houston's kind of been resurgent. But between that, Leonard is now healthy. Leonard missed about four mm-hmm. games this year. So they're getting some pieces back. And between that and their offensive line being one of the best league, I still think, you know, the Colts just lost the Dolphins in a inexcusable. But it's Brian the, Hoyer, yeah. though. Like, yeah, when you're down to your third string quarterback, if you look at the depth chart in mid August, it's like you're down to Hoyer. Like, yeah, that's why I thought that was the craziest line of the week. They were a 10-point favorite against the Dolphins. God. That was the ultimate stay away. If you bet that one, uh, maybe betting isn't for you. That was horrible. <laughs> there was no ju- – nah, yo, that game was crazy. I, I heard someone gave that as a pick. They're like, oh, it's the Dol-. It's like, no, dude. It's like, f- for what it's worth, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he has his moments, but he's also – he's an NFL quarterback. Like, yeah. Brian Hoyer is is not. My no, bad. And no. I'm not a 10-point favorite. That's fucking okay. wild. Yeah. Get out of here with that shit. I'm still picking the Colts, though. I do have belief in them. Yeah, sorry, I just went on a rant. I didn't lose no money on that game, folks, if you're wondering. But that was just a horrible, horrible pick. Pat McAfee was very upset. I don't know if you follow him, Pat McAfee. He is hilarious. Yeah, yeah he's just like, we just lost a team that doesn't want to win football games. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, let's move on over to the NFC now. Uh, I want to cheat a little bit. We both got the Vikings, right? Has to be. Has to be, yeah. I think Dalvin Cook, you know, if it wasn't for McCaffrey, I feel like we'd be talking more about Dalvin Cook. I still think it's a good competition. When it comes to offense player of the year, I think those are the two clear choices. If you want to look at skill position players, Donald Cook was phenomenal on Sunday night. Yeah. He, wherever he wanted, he did. He, I lost count on how many tackles he broke. But you know what's crazy? Just the screen game. I think Minnesota 
right there with Kansas City and New Orleans as the best screen team in the league, just the way they create space. Because even their offense line isn't that good, they have a lot of athletes up front. And just the way between that and just the way Dalvin Cook just processed the field and just the way he breaks tackles and even could evade a couple of tackles. He's a very elusive for a bigger back. So, yeah, he's the real deal. And they're doing this without feeling, which makes it even more impressive. I also like the back on Madison. I think he's a Dude, yeah. he's a guy that could I could see him being a starter on like four or five teams. Yeah. He, he's legit. Yeah. Sometimes like you could c- confuse the two too. Like mm-hmm. if you were to just look at them like without looking at the number, you're like, oh, is that Cook that's in there? Right. But then it's, he he's a baller too. And you know, uh Rhodes has had kind of a down year on his his part, but like Daniel Hunter, I feel like is a guy that doesn't get the respect that he deserves. Everson a- Griffin looks reborn. Mm-hmm. I know last year had his troubles, but he looks really good. And how about Eric Kendricks with that mm-hmm. pass break of Yeah, and he's really Zeke, yeah. Game. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think with the Vikings, I, I think it's safe to have them in there because hey, they could still compete for the division too. You know, oh, they're yeah. only a game back. They have a game to go against uh, against the Packers, and that's going to be played in Minnesota this go around. Um, this one I think is going to surprise you and everyone listening to. I'm not overreacting to Monday Night Football, but I think San Francisco is my second wild card team. That's not a slight on them. It just, no, it's, that's the nature of the NFC being. Insane. The, yeah, the I think Seattle, I think Russell Wilson, man, is having one of those years where, dude, he had a bad game number, like box scores wise on Monday Night Football, but he was clearly the best player on the field. I thought Jadavion Clowney was the best player in the field. We got to give Clowney some yeah, yeah, yeah. right, Clowney fair. terrorized that game. Like, Russ thought first half he looked shaky. Eventually he picked it up, but you got to credit to CLD. They really took it to San Fran, particularly in the trenches. Yo, what about yeah? I couldn't agree with you more. But what about the the blown the dead ball when they blew that play dead? With Russell oh, with Eric, Eric Armstead. Oh my God! Like, what they call it in the grasp? Yo, suck my balls with that shit, NFL man. Let same thing with guys, Deshaun Watson. Like, yo, can we can we maybe let the guys that are athletes at the position? Can we maybe like you know how they you can call pass interference on every hail mary? Yeah. Or like there's holding on every play, but you don't call it. Right. Right. Can we maybe let the quarterbacks that have literally built their careers off eluding tacklers and shaking out of the pocket to maybe have like a Mississippi longer? I just feel like this has never been an issue. Like, why is it an issue this year? Yo, like we talked about Watson a couple of weeks ago with the Colts, right? Mm-hmm. He escapes, he throws a touchdown to D Hop, they blew the play dead, they kick a field goal, ultimately kind of cost them the game there, right? right? We've seen it with Wentz. I saw Baker Mayfield against the Titans, Wentz against the Falcons. Yeah, right, right. And then you know this this past week with um, with Russell Wilson, it's like yo, he escapes that, and then it's like, and then you bury the team because I was third and sixteen, and then obviously he converts it after. But that play, yeah, <laughs> that play. The Malik Turner with the spin move. Yeah, but yo, what about like what, who Russell Wilson was doing that with? Like Turner, Lockett got hurt, right? Josh Gordon, Josh is Gordon back. converting <laughs> like. The key third downs twice, yeah. third and like six, third and eight. He's on an going inside to post, yeah. You know, so I'm gonna go with San Francisco because I think Russell Wilson right now, man, I think he's having a year similar to Cam 2015 in the sense where like it's just such a magical year for us. I have them as the one seed right now. Long term, I think that Seahawks because like Russ is it's just the Russ year. We're gonna look back on this year, no matter how it ends, you're gonna be like. That was the year that Russell Wilson legit entered, you know, he's the best quarterback in the league category. There's so many crazy good NFC matchups left, but I feel like Seattle kind of got away. They already played New Orleans. Did they still have to play? Obviously, San Fran one more time. But They'll think, play them in Seattle this time. Yeah. 
So I do think the schedule benefits them because the issue with San Fran, they have a three-week stretch. They have to play Green Bay, Baltimore, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Those are some scary teams right there. That, yeah. that, that defense, where I I will fully agree with you now, that is the best defense league. I still think San Fran, what they did on Monday night was incredible. But it's just you're going up against some really stellar offenses. And I think and the way Jimmy G's playing, we have the points out. Jimmy G looked terrible. I know, granted, he didn't have Kittle and Sanders got injured. But just the way he was handling the pressure, like – you can't fumble like that. Like some of the plays he was making, just he just looked very jittery in the pocket. But then, just you know, the first t- the touchdown, like in that situation, like it wasn't like you were blindsided. It wasn't off your backside. Like like Joe Staley, all right, he allowed a lot of pressure, but there was a moment where Clowney just totally stripped him. Like he took some sacks and he just didn't hold on to the ball because he couldn't take it. And I do think it's a concern right now with Jimmy G and that offense line. Staley and McGlinchey both made their return, but both of them looked very rusty. So I do think there's some concerns with that San Fran offense. Debo's a baller, though, man. Debo's a baller, man. After a catch, he is a menace. But uh, Kendrick Bourne, I'm not sure if he should be in the league. Yeah. Some really catastrophic drops. That guy's blown up so many DFS showdown slates, bro, because he's always like a $400 receiver on showdown, and he scores a touchdown. It's just like killer. You know what's scary? Like He's playing over guys like Pettis at Goodwin. Like, how bad do Pettis and Goodwin have to be? Like, I don't know what happened to Pettis, man. I love that dude coming out of college. They traded up to get him. I thought this year, like, when I was looking at that offense, I thought he could be the most anew in that offense. Just hasn't worked out. He had that one play through the silence, but he couldn't catch it. It was a, actually a well-thrown ball by Garoppolo, but Seattle, they were banging, man. It was like LOB days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is, is What other wildcard team do you have? Cause, uh, it's got to be have San Fran. San Fran. Yeah, because also? the other two teams you want to keep in mind, the Rams and Panthers, I just think they're too limited. The Rams with golf just looking like a disaster around that old line just bad. And Carolina, credit to them. They play very hard. I thought that game with Green Bay. If San Fran, Seattle didn't happen, I think we talk a lot more about how good that Green Bay Carolina game was, especially with the snow. I was a it was a really enjoyable game. And I thought Carolina Allen made some big throws, but it's just you could tell Kyle Allen he has ball security issues. He had a bad fumble. He could have been picked off two or three times. I just don't think Carolina is enough offensively to compete because NFC, there's really no margin for error. There's so many good teams, and I think the Rams and Panthers, as talented as they are, they just too many issues offensively. So we basically agreed on the teams in the in the wild card for the NFC, right? I think you have to. Yeah. I think the big question at this point is Philly and Dallas. Who you like in the East? That's like the main. Basically, whoever wins that division is making the playoffs. Yeah, because I, I can't see both teams making it yeah. at this point. Yeah, with their records, I think both have what four losses. Yeah, they're both five and four. Like Minnesota, it's and then whoever comes out of Seattle and say like you guys who those teams are at least winning eleven games. Yeah, with how good they are, it seems like it. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's pivot it over to Week Eleven games of the week. We got a. We got a pretty fun slate, man. Some good games on here. I'm digging it. A little weaker than past few weeks, but... Yeah, but still some marquee matchups. Texans versus the Ravens. I don't know how that's 1 o'clock, but what are you going to do? Yeah. They just so, they had to put Trubisky golf on Sunday night. Just had to. God almighty, help us. <laughs> Big um, markets. J.J. Watt was the highest graded player for the Texans, and he's out. Um, Watson versus Lamar Jackson. I think two of the funner quarterbacks in the league right now playing. Uh, two guys who I want to say played each other in college, too. They did. It was a classic. Louisville and Clemson, ACC. Um, two guys that, you know, one guy won the Heisman. The other guy won a national championship. And two guys that had a lot of question marks from certain people coming into the league. I loved Watson. I knew he was going to be great. And so far, he hasn't disappointed me. Sure, a couple of concerns with his injuries and whatnot. And then Lamar Jackson has, I mean, 
again, I apologize for slandering the guy. He's absolutely balled out. Uh, him and Russell Wilson are the leading candidates, according to um, the FanDuel Sportsbook out in New Jersey, uh, to win NFL MVP. So I am very excited for this one. I think, for me, the biggest talking point needs to be the addition of Marcus Peters for this team because I think this secondary now became legit. Earl Thomas, Humphreys we've mentioned, uh, Jimmy Smith, Marcus Peters. You have a lot of guys that are ball hawks. They make plays. Um, Marcus Peters does disappear when it comes to tackling sometimes, but he's just a very aggressive corner. Look, he's he's a corner that he'll have a pick six, and then the next play he'll give up a 70-yard bomb. That's just his nature. He's a but gambler. He's a gambler, and you know how I feel about gamblers, my kind of people. So I really like this secondary, and then you see how that's going to match up with like the offense for the Texans. Who Will Fuller's not healthy. Will Fuller's back. Kenny Stills, Kiki. DeAndre Hopkins, obviously. They also utilize a lot of two tight end sense now as well. It's like Atkins and Fells. And, you know, my boy El Guapo, he's balling out also. So there's just a lot of pieces, a lot of moving parts, man. What do you? What's getting you aroused? Besides this being the two most electrifying quarterbacks in the league scoring off against each other, because who else is more electrifying than these two? Like, in terms of just dynamic quarterbacks, it doesn't get much better than this. Yeah. And I think it's exciting that... Both these quarterbacks are going against pass rushes that aren't very good. Like Baltimore doesn't generate much pressure. And without Watt, I know Merciless is still there. He's having a good year. But without Watt, I think Houston's defense takes a huge hit. So I'm expecting a shootout in this one. I know it's crazy because it's in Baltimore. And Baltimore, it's that intimidating environment. But I expect Watson to explode. But then I also expect a little Mark explode because both these defense can get at. Uh, I guess what I'm most curious about is just how much Baltimore – Obviously, they're going to run the ball out, but how many chances Lamar takes with his arm? Because you know the Titans are going to evolve. You know Andrews is going to be open down the seam. But does Hollywood Brown, who only gets like 15, 18 snaps, like a game, but he just manages to make his mark. I'm just curious to see how Lamar does as a pass in this game because I think he's going to find openings using the option and everything. But you know how much they want to open the playbook when it comes to attacking this Houston secondary, which can't get get at. Uh, that's what I'm most fascinated about. Deshaun Watson in games in which he is projected to either be in a high-scoring affair or to be trailing, his numbers are up there with, like, Pat Mahomes. Wow. Carson Wentz's um, MVP season. Like, he's a guy who thrives in shootouts, right? He obviously has the weapons for it, too. Uh, D-Hop is starting to get more and more involved. He's hitting the end zone last couple of games that he's played as well. I think for me... The biggest concern that I have is it seems like they're a pass funnel where it either goes to Hollywood or either goes to Mark Andrews. Who's another option for them? Or is the other option just going to be Lamar on the ground? They love the tight ends with Boyle and Hurst. They'll use that. And I do think... Uh, but like consistent, Boykin, like those guys will catch like one or two passes. It's not consistent with them, though. That's the thing. They just spread the ball around. But it's just Lamar does what Lamar wants because oh, good luck trying to bring him down. The way he evades pressure is... I've never seen anything like it. It's probably since Prime Vic. Shit, you saw the stat about his his career through 16 games. He has more wins than Pat Mahomes. He has more rushing yards than LT. He has a higher, uh, I believe it's a QBR than Tom Brady. Man, he's really changing. I think both these guys are changing the position, man, because both you can make a case for the best athletes on their teams. Like, yo, let's not forget, Deshaun Watson was... Deshaun Watson came into the league and took the league by storm too. Yeah, you know. Hey, Lamar Jackson was supposed to be a wide receiver, according to certain people. Right. So I think that's the reason why he's one of the best athletes. Right. Technically, he should be a receiver, but 
yeah, I think just what these two quarterbacks have brought to Lee, just so much enjoyment and just kind of changing the landscape. Where it's like, okay, you don't have to be this tall pocket passer. You could, uh, all right, you might take some punishment. But that's another thing. They change the narrative. Like, especially Lamar, it's like, okay, oh, these guys don't last the lead. They're going to get too beat up. All right, Lamar's taking, I mean, Deshaun Watson's taking some lumps. But I think Watson's gotten injured just because O-line's so bad. I don't think he's, Watson's not really reckless when it comes to scrambling. He doesn't take too many big shots. So I think the, they're not just changing the narrative when it comes to big pocket passes being the best quarterbacks in the league. They're also changing the narrative that, oh, these quarterbacks don't last. They can't play for 16 games. They're doing it right now. Well, I think Watson gets big hits when his offensive line. Odell Beckham Jr. throw a touchdown. Yo, we got to get hyped for that, man. Uh, I traded I traded Todd Gurley. Yo, Eric, I'm looking at the camera, bitch. I traded Todd Gurley and James Jameson Crowder for Odell. I've been Suck waiting me. for that since week two, man. <laughs> this is Odell fanboy podcast, man. One of the most Woo! You want to talk about electrifying playmakers? This is it, folks. Sorry, we had to get hyped for that. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, yeah. we talk about Steven Nelson being the uh, weak point of the Steelers D. He just got lit up on the D post. Odell is back. That was a dime. Too bad the Browns are three and six. Ah, damn it. I really wanted the Browns to be good this year. All right. Before we got sidetracked by Odell hitting the end zone, um, last thing I want to say about these two guys, uh, Deshaun Watson, you mentioned him not taking big hits. I feel like the only time he takes big hits is when his head coach, who I still think is going to be the sole reason why this team does not hit their ceiling. I think Bill O'Brien holds him back. And remember last year, that Cowboys game where they ran like those sweeps and he was getting pummeled? Some of the worst red zone play I've ever seen oh, in my life. Awful. And then the offensive line. Like yeah. th- That's the only time where Deshaun Watson actually gets yeah, hit. He, and He does hold the ball for a little bit too long, but I feel like he's improved on just avoiding punishment. Good night. At the one. He'll be at the one. You got to be Odell, yeah. Why can't this man just have his electrifying <laughs> moment? Like Odell's been a possession receiver all year. Let's move on to the Patriots and the Eagles. I think this is an interesting oh, oh, one. What are the picks for this game? Oh. <sighs> I'm going Ravens. I say they're the more complete team. I trust their defense to make one or two plays, while the Texans, D, I don't trust at all. Yeah, I think the deciding factor is is going to be the defenses, and I'm with you. I'll go with the Ravens on that. Texans are coming off the bye, but with Bill O'Brien, I don't think that really Congrats. <laughs> Congrats. All right, Patriots versus Eagles. Super Bowl rematch from a couple years ago. Eagles, both teams come off buys. Both team comes in, it's both teams coming off a bye. Both teams getting a little bit healthier. Though Alshon Jeffrey is questionable for this week. Wow. Um wide receivers potentially for Carson Wentz and the Eagles are going to be Matt Collins, uh Arcega Whiteside, Nelson Dropsies Aguilar, probably a lot of Dallas go there, Zach Ertz. Um Miles Sanders is getting a little involved. He Miles Sanders is getting involved. Yeah. Jordan Howard seems to be the guy that they rely on more on the in-between-the-tackle stuff. Um, Carson Wentz, like, PFF man crush of the year? Like, he's not lighting it up from a fantasy standpoint, really. Like, when I think of Carson Wentz this year, I think 235 and two touchdowns. He's made timely plays. He yeah. He's delivered a lot. Yeah. But I think in the big moments, like the primetime games – Falcons, Cowboys, like those Sunday night games, they've, he's fallen off very short of expectations. So I think that's why. Look, when you struggle on prime time, people use that against you. It's happened to Matt Ryan for years. So I think that's why I think people are a little, not down on Wentz, but they're not as uh, vocal by him being this top quarterback, even though I do think he's had a very good season. 
Wentz has the overall better offensive grade, 86.7. Tom Brady, 85.2. Shout out to our guy, Taron, with PFF sending us these numbers. Both teams are top 10 in PFF's overall rankings. Not surprised. Um, I haven't jumped off the Philly bandwagon, man. I think this is a team who they can stop the run. Their, their secondary is horrible. I think one of the biggest disappointments for me personally was they should have made a move for a corner, especially with how aggressive this front office has always been. They tried, but they, they were furious that Ramsey didn't get there. I just, I just don't think they wanted to trade two first-round picks. I think Howie just said, I can't do this. But the fact that they couldn't get a veteran, whether it be Patrick Pearson, whoever it may be, uh, I think that's definitely this point because I think you just see those corners and they're getting lit up week in and week out. Brady against the secondary. This should be a 300-yard passing performance for, for Tom Brady, I think. I think Edelman's going to go off. Edelman is going to eat this He's week. He's going to eat uh, across that defense. You know what's crazy? He didn't play in that Super Bowl. Wow, that's right. Edelman had tore his ACL, if you remember. I wonder who, like, the current Patriots offense, like, who played in that Super Bowl? James White? James White, Brady, obviously. Um, was Dorsett on that team? Could be. I know the offense line had Shaq Mason. Man, from a weapon standpoint, that's a hell of a point, bro. I don't know how many guys played on that 20, 2017 team. Even the tight ends. Yeah. There. So it's a definitely a different sort of game. But Eagles secondary, just they get lit up. And just Brady, you give them any. Because I do think the Eagles pass is just still as lethal as it gets. But, you know, the Patriots, they're going to get the ball out in like 2.2 seconds. Brady will hit his man. James White could probably have a big game. Most of will probably eating up in the middle of the field. Just Philly, they're just so disorganized in the back. And I think Brady could exploit that. Do you think if Brady if Brady um, struggles, it could be one of those cases? Because everyone has had monster games against the Eagles. So do you think if Brady struggles, it might be a concern long term? Whether it's starting to get colder, maybe washed? <laughs> Bro, he is, what was he, 42, 43? I know, but using that word washed with Tom Brady, it just, that doesn't, that doesn't go right. Uh no, look, they're playing top teams. I think it would be a little concerned if their defense struggles because, as we mentioned before, they've feasted on bad offenses. Their defense struggles, that's two weeks in a row where they get lit up by you know, Lamar and now Wentz. And you know, they still have to play Mahomes and Prescott. You know, These are two quarterbacks. Like Dak Prescott, geez, he's playing MVP level. I don't think he's getting enough credit. But I think when it comes to the Patriots' offense, I think they're fine. Uh, it's just more of the offensive line being a little shaky right now. But as long as Brady gets on the same page with Sanu and uh, Nikhil Harry, I'm not sure when he's going to come back. But you know, you expect him to play a role in the offense at some point. I do think they kind of underestimated uh, the tight end position. I know Ben Watson is a lot of familiarity there. But not having a playmaker at tight end, I do think, has affected Brady a little bit. Yeah, he does He does love his tight ends, that's for sure. Um I think the running backs are going to be... I, I think this could be a James White... This could be a back-to-basics game for the Patriots where it's going to be a lot of James White, a lot of Edelman. You and can't then, run on Philly. They're one of the best-run defense in the league. Yeah, yeah. That's been the one thing that's been consistent about them. And you know, Belichick, he will not hesitate to ban the run. He'll just start throwing. doesn't matter. I've seen games where they've ran the ball eight times, but they still won convincingly. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with them, man. They kind of, They kind of take advantage of your weaknesses. And for Philly, it's going to be the secondary. So I think I love Brady from like a fantasy standpoint this week. I love him in DFS. I think he might be a guy that could be on their own in tournaments and shit because, you know, the one well, the one issue with Brady is people oftentimes don't know who to pair him with. 
But I think Edelman is the guy this week, man. I think Edelman could have a double-digit catch game. Philly's corners are so slow. Darby, Jones, guy. If Edelman runs a double move on Jalen Mills, all hell's going to break loose. Like this, These corners are just big and lanky. Like They're not built to cover these slot twitchy receivers like a June Edelman. So I think they'll tear apart there. If if Philly wins this game, do you feel different about them going forward? I just expect Philly to be a contender regardless. Oh, I think it'll depend on their second. That's the only thing I have question marks about. The rest, I think Jordan Howard's having a really good year. The offense line's one of the best league. I think Philly's, we see, what you see is what you get. So I don't think this game's really going to change much. I'm just curious to see how does the Patriots defense look against another top QB and how does the Eagles secondary, will there be any improvement? Other than that, I think both these teams are built for January. Who you got in this game? Going to go Patriots off a bye. I think that's just the move you have to go with. And just Philly's secondary, I don't trust them at all. Am I gonna pick against Bill? I don't know if I am. I think I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go New England. But I want I want Philly to win this game. It'd be exciting. You know why? Because I don't want to see New England have the one seed. I'm sorry. I want to see them have to go back into Baltimore. Ooh. Give me that. Give me that Ooh. AFC Championship game. Have them go into Baltimore. And you just don't want to see Jason Garrett coaching the playoffs. Can we quickly talk about that? Yeah, of course. He, Jason Garrett. Why? Just why? You. Prescott's lighting up the Vikings. It's second and five. Cobb is getting wide open. Cooper, he was running the show. Gallup's making plays. Then you run up. Zeke has had average like what? 2.7 yards per carry? Second. Oh, no, it was second and two. What am I saying? Second five. It was second and two. Third and two. Then he lost three. Mm-hmm. They try to run a little counter. Vikings up. And then fourth down. Go back to Zeke again. When are you going to realize you have a stellar quarterback, a great offense line, and three great weapons? Mm. And Dak's just torching Mike Zimmer's defense. Vikings, okay. Secondary is kind of questionable. Well, you don't see the Vikings defense get torched like that. And just to get so conservative there, Dallas, enough. Just please. You have one of the best rosters in the league. But until Jason Garrett's gone, we can't take you seriously as a contender. That's why I think a lot of people are hoping that Philly wins the division because you just know you're going to get Dallas. At some point, they're going to crumble in the playoffs. While Doug Pearson is going to be one of the most ballsiest coaches in the league, he's going to deliver. He's going to pull out some tricks, and he's going to blow everyone's mind. So I think if you want the Eagles to win, that's another reason why because Dallas in the playoffs, what's the point at this point? I think the ceiling for the Cowboys is they'll win a wild card round and then they'll lose to uh... – and they were fortunate to beat Seattle. That was a terrible. This is a terrible game, Joe. We were watching. Well, like, yo, remember Janikowski got hurt, that is, and then they had Janikowski. to go for two for like three straight touchdowns yeah. that they scored. They had to go for a two point conversion. The play calling was so bad. Like Schottenheimer kept running on first and second down. Just right. Yeah, Schottenheimer. Yeah, <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna go with New England too. But I would like to see Philly win, man. Yeah, because I feel like Philly might be the sleeping giant that can make some noise moving forward. Oh yeah. Um. All they, right. They last year. Yeah, they did. Yeah, D- don't forget Philly and the Cowboys were either four and four or three and five around this time last year. So, and both were in the divisional round. All right, next game and final game: Monday Night Football. Um, Chiefs, Chargers in Mexico. This is a loser leaves town match for the Chargers. I think if the Chargers lose this game, you could ultimately, I'll throw them in the Walking Dead next week. Um, this is a team who a lot of close games again, yo, it's very important to remember this when you're previewing teams next year, it is one of the biggest tools that professional betters have when they're talking about win total perspectives, because I don't know if you know this, or we've had this conversation 
MVP, rushing leader, shit like that. That's a very public. Uh, that's like a, a a square bet they call it. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to pick the MVP of the league. Like even if you go Pat Mahomes, you know you go chalk, right? More times than not, it doesn't always hit, right? Last year, Pat Mahomes won the MVP it was thirty to one odds to win the MVP. You know, Cam Newton his year he was eighty to one odds to win MVP. So even if you go with the favorite, there's just the odds aren't in your favor. Whereas what professional betters like to do is they like to bet win totals. Mm-hmm. Because it's a 50-50 proposition. And then when you have certain factors like this one about one possession games, year in, year out, you go back and you watch the Panthers, the, the 2015 season. I believe they were like 8-1 and one in one-score games. The year after, they weren't. They were like 500. And then that showed in their record. Charges last year, 6-1 and one in one-score games. And this year, pretty much all their games have been one-score games. So I remember to see what the Lions a few years ago. Remember when the Lions made the playoffs, but it was a lot of one-score games and they just fell, fell off? Yeah. Yeah, so it's just something that year in, year out, no matter how good your team is, you can't count on the ball. The ball's not going to bounce in your favor. You know, the flag isn't going to go in your favor. And the charges are cursed. We all know this. Yeah, that is just... Man, talking about having a shitty hand dealt to you, like Phillip Rivers, man. Phillip Rivers got to watch year in, year out. And I know he hasn't been sensational all his career, but the one thing he's been is durable. It's just like year in, year out. Like a running back is holding out, a wide receiver ruptures a spleen, Five offensive linemen go down. The defensive starters are holding out. Offensive coordinator gets fired midseason. It's just so much BS with that team. But I do want to say... Plays uh, games in a soccer stadium. (laughs) Yeah, no home field advantage. Uh, Where's Tyreek Hill as far as um, wide receivers for you? He's got to be close to top five. I think the most terrifying receiver... He would probably be number one just because of his speed. Yo, what about – does he not remind you of Steve Smith in his in contesting catches? Yeah, because the thing is people forget. Like Everyone's like, oh, Tyreek Hill is just a speed guy. No, he's very physical. Okay, not on the physical level of Steve Smith because nobody's as physical right. as Steve Smith. But Tyreek Hill makes some absurd catches. That guy will go get it. He's not just a speed guy that creates separation. This guy can be very physical. So, yeah, he is a problem. Yeah, I don't think many quarterbacks can hang with him. It's going to be interesting to see how Casey Hayward does against him because Tyreek Hill has lit up Casey Hayward in the past. Well, the thing that the Chiefs likes to, like to do, man, and, yo, that touchdown that uh, Hardman scored last week, the jump pass, <laughs> like, yo, how he broke. Like, he was, he was contained. He was stopped, yeah. right? And then from there, he just hit the Jets and scored. That team, when everyone is healthy, and Mahomes said that this is the healthiest that he's felt all year since the beginning of the season. This is still a team that I wouldn't want to face. Like if you're if you're a Patriots fan right now, which team would you prefer playing? The Ravens or the Chiefs in the playoffs? Ravens. You would rather play, play Mahomes? Like you gotta play Pat Mahomes? Man, that's what I'm saying. Hardman's Hardman's a really big pickup. That just brings another element to that offense. Like he is if you can run four three, you could play for that team. So that's what it seems like. Like Watkins, Hardman, yeah. even even uh, Andy Reid will know how to use you. Yeah, even Robinson is a fast wide receiver too. Oh yeah, he makes you know. Plays. But Tyree Kill, man, it's it's unbelievable how he was a guy up until last season. I felt like was a gadget player. He was a guy who I wouldn't feel confident as him being my number one wide receiver. I would say two years ago, I thought he's kind of developed. I think 2016 is rookie year is a little bit of gadget player, but 17 he started putting up. Well, the, the Alex Smith year, right? right? right. Yeah, it, but but still, I kind of I I felt like gadget's he was a loose ter- like gadget turn. We're talking about players that get like made three or four targets. Harry Hill has been pretty established, I would say. Yeah, that's fair. You're right. Yeah. You're right. But 
now it's just like you know I hate bringing fantasy into these conversations, but he's he's my number one wide receiver, and I feel like overly confident with him week in week out. It's like one of the best QBs in the league, and he, he outruns everybody. Yeah, and, and he has a one of the best play callers. Right, so, so he'll, he'll get schemed runs. open. Yeah, um, that um, defense though is a problem. I know it's so good. bad. It's Honey so Badger hasn't made an impact. Frank Clark hasn't made an impact. Did you see the video of D Ford? I know he's on the Niners now, but you saw he lined up offside against the Seahawks too. (laughs) It's like, dude, it's yo. So the two penalties that drive me the most, like crazy, are full full starts on wide receivers on wide receivers because you're looking in, right? You're looking. I say full start in general. Fine, but I can yeah. understand a full start if you're on the road and you're playing in Seattle and it's or third Orleans, down, yeah. like something like that where the crowd plays. Like when you full start at home, horrible. Oh, yeah. Like if I was a GM, I'd be the worst GM ever. I'm cutting people like right, like yo, you're out. Like fuck that, you can't. Be, like you know the snap count. Wide receivers, Tyron looking, Smith, get the right? Wide receivers, you looking in at the ball and you always look in and then you run your route, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on defense, it's like if you're a defensive end and you line up offside, you're an asshole. Like yo, you literally look in at the ball, like. Yeah. Could have went to the Super Bowl last year, man, if you just lined up six inches back. Damn, D Ford. Chiefs turn on you. Those fans, they will turn on you. <sighs> D- but, you know, D Ford gets replaced by Frank Clark, and he hasn't really been a guy that has been that impactful. Yeah. Like, I know his sack numbers, they're not that bad, but he just he disappears a lot, you know? Nice. Like, I don't know. The secondary just hasn't been good the past few years. Linebackers aren't making hit the Anthony Hitchens contract. It's just bad. Like, I know they could score. 30, 40 points, but at some point you just need to get stops. Like, and just look at, like, to lose a shootout to Titans, that's just a bad look, man. Like, just, I don't care how good Tannehill is playing. It's just not good. So, I think that's a big concern. I do like them in this game just because I think the Chargers are really unstable right now. The, I think Okun got injured again. He might not play. So, the offense lines looks as bad as there. They made the Raiders look like one of the best terrifying defensive as the league, uh, defensive lines of the league and who the hell do the Raiders have as a pass rush so I think that's just a big concern in general so uh, I'll be shocked if the Chiefs don't win. I think it's a major bounce back game for them even though I do expect the Chargers to put up some points but it's just hard to trust Rivers at this point like he, that final drive last week he couldn't have looked more lost and I think the, his velocity is down his arm strength's down just, I think age just caught up to him yeah he's coming off an extended break but know, he hasn't looked that good all year have you noticed that there's been a lot of games this year where teams have played on Thursday and then they play the following Monday? I have noticed that. Like the, Did it happen to the Jets? It happened with the Jets with the Patriots. No, yeah. no, no. It was the Patriots that that oh, happened with. Patriots, the Patriots yeah. played the Giants and then they played the Jets. Yeah. Um, and then you had like, you know, the, 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 the Chargers this week. Last week it was the Niners. They played against the Cardinals on Thursday. So it's like you've basically so given weird, them dude. two weeks off. Yeah. You know, I, I do find that a little bit strange, but... Who are you going with, uh, Chiefs? Yeah, I have to go Chiefs. I think we've agreed on all three picks. So that means that probably the other three are going to win. <laughs> you want to trust the Chargers, man. It would be nah, a good yeah, time. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, look, if it's a get-right spot for this offense, it would be the, the, the Chiefs. Unless Bosa and Ingram go off, I just don't know how they're going to stop him. Right. I think Mahomes, just, he looks locked and loaded. And you know, we even talk about Kelsey. Kelsey, I feel like, always lights up the Chargers. Right. So. All right, man. I think this is a good place for us to stop. Uh, once again, this Saturday, our buddy Jared Gordon. Good luck. Uh, bring home that W, man. Big fight for him in the 155 division. Definitely check that out, guys, if you have ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Alan, where can they find you if they want to contact you? Alan underscore Sturk. That's A-L-L-E-N underscore S-T-R-K. 
Um, any stuff for the Falcons you're doing? Yeah, covering Falcons, Panthers, something, uh, another NFC South battle, I guess. But yeah, not too much buzz about it. But it's 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 of a treat just because the Falcons actually show life. They don't look completely hopeless. So uh, for fantasy people out there, Austin Hooper being out for a month is a big blow. Mm. Uh, I'm a big Austin Hooper guy. So he's out for a month. Freeman's out for a couple weeks. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> So uh, people that invest a lot in the Falcons in terms of fantasy, uh, those two are going to be out for quite a bit because they have this, then they got Tampa, but then they play on Thanksgiving. So uh, schedule does not work out well if you invested heavily in both players. My team is absolutely ridiculous if no one got hurt. But I lost Freeman and Brita, and now Balazs is my number two running back. I have McCaffrey, but I like... He'll go off this week. I really like my team. Like, I'm like... I'm talking mad shit, guys. For everyone, I'm talking mad shit. Oh. It's gonna come back to bite me oh, in the ass, dude. Then we just call out fancy people. Like I know, <laughs> I'm I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I am that oh, guy. Yeah. Uh, at the Lamb Show is where you can find me at Veterans Minimum. Again, shout out to our guy Aaron Freeman. Thank you for hopping on, man. Uh, follow us where you should follow us. December contest is gonna be up soon for Patreon, ten dollar tier or higher. Get a chance to win this really cool skateboard deck that i got it could be a nice piece in the man cave and uh yeah of course manscape check them out vm at checkout 20 percent off and free shipping and we will catch you guys next time baby when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply